Book Two, Chapter Four, Part Nine of History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume One, by Henry Charles Lee, Book Two, Chapter Four conflicting jurisdictions part nine then the affair suddenly assumed another phase on march seventh the queen had written to her ambassador in rome to procure the abstention of the pope from the matter but on that very day the congregation of the inquisition with the approval of the pope had pronounced invalid the censures fulminated by the inquisitor it was late in may before this was communicated to the queen by the nuncio who said that the pope had recognized the gravity of the assault by an inquisitor on the episcopal dignity and the magnitude of the ensuing scandal and had caused the whole subject to be carefully considered by the congregation with the above result the pope had felt deeply not only the indignity offered to the episcopal office but also that the fiscal of the inquisition had applied to the queen to summon the bishop before it solely on the ground of his having appealed to the holy see in the name of the pope the nuncio therefore asked the queen to order inquisitors not to proceed against bishops and to reject the application of the fiscal even this did not shake the determination of nithard to reduce the episcopate to subjection a long and argumentative consulta was presented to the queen proving that the papal decision was surreptitious and therefore invalid and that anyhow the decrees of the roman inquisition had no currency in spain the old prohibitions of appeals to rome were invoked and the queen was told that one of the most precious jewels of the spanish crown was at stake for unless the regalias were preserved the inquisition must disappear delinquents would be unpunished religion would suffer and with the loss of its unity there would no longer be obedience to the throne the queen was therefore urged to stand firm the prosecution of the bishop must not be suspended and the council of aragon must be forced to obey the royal commands nithard was ready to risk an open breach with the holy see in his audacious ambition to render the inquisition supreme in the spanish church how far the queen would have suffered herself to be carried in the execution of his plans cannot be told as the documents fail us here his career however was drawing to a close in february sixteen sixty nine he was driven from spain amid universal execration yet the prosecution of bishop manjare was not abandoned for the inquisition was not accustomed openly to admit defeat it dragged until his death december twenty sixth sixteen seventy when it was quietly dropped practically the intervention of rome gave the victory to the mallorquins of which they took advantage in sixteen seventy one there arose another quarrel over a fine incurred by a canon who was also a consultor of the tribunal both sides exchanged excommunications and inquisitor-general valladares profiting by his predecessor's experience showed moderation on the plea that it was a matter of government rather than of jurisdiction the suprema ordered the tribunal to abandon the case and remove the censures imposed on the canons 
but the latter were not content with this and procured from the roman holy office a decree declaring invalid the censures of the inquisitors and valid those of the executors of the brief the council of aragon communicated this to the queen who submissively signed a letter january twenty five sixteen seventy two to the chapter expressing her confidence that in its use they would pay fitting attention to the peace and advantage of the church the inquisition was not accustomed to defeat and it chafed under this as was shown when in sixteen ninety a quarrel arose because a priest of minorca named juan Bruels used insulting words to the commissioner rafael pons for this he was prosecuted and the case threw all the islands into confusion the viceroy the audiencia and the clergy all united against the inquisition the ordinary of minorca as executor of the brief of sixteen forty two forcibly released Bruels, forbade the inquisitor to proceed and on his disobeying excommunicated him about this time the mallorquin tribunal had claims to consideration arising from its vigorous proceedings against judaizers and the large resultant confiscations the suprema espoused its cause with the usual energy and in repeated consultas to carlos the third denounced the papal briefs as surreptitious and invalid full of defects and nullities the feeble king issued repeated commands for the prosecution of brules and the surrender of the briefs but no one paid attention to them the mallorquin clergy procured from the congregation of the inquisition a decree validating the censures pronounced by the ordinary and annulling those of the inquisitor the pope confirmed this but subsequently suspended it at the earnest solicitation of the spanish ambassador at the same time ordering his nuncio to make the king understand that the congregation had supreme power to decide all questions of jurisdiction the affair did not result to the satisfaction of the inquisition for the last we hear of it is a bitter complaint by the suprema march eleventh sixteen ninety three of the contumacious mallorquins and the miserable condition to which they had reduced the inquisition in minorca the clergy and their dependents were so hostile that pons could not find a church in which to celebrate mass while the officials were shunned as excommunicated heretics another jurisdiction with which there were occasional quarrels was that of the army for soldiers were exempt from the secular courts in such competencias settlements were made by a junta of two members each of the suprema and the council of war with final reference to the king in case of disagreement i have happened to meet with but few cases of this and they seem never to have attained the importance of those with the secular and ecclesiastical courts one occurred in sixteen twenty nine arising from disputes with the garrison that had occupied al haferia since the troubles of fifteen ninety one a somewhat curious case was that of don fernando antonio herrera calderon of santander who was alguazil and familiar and who resigned in sixteen forty one from his military company although warned that by so doing during hostilities he would be tried by the council of war it naturally claimed him and the suprema endeavored to protect him it would seem that towards the end of the eighteenth century the exemption of the military was causing special troubles for a royal cedula of february ninth seventeen ninety three declares that 
to put an end to them in future the military judges shall have exclusive cognizance of all cases civil and criminal in which soldiers are defendants except inheritances and that no tribunal or judge of any kind shall form a competencia concerning them under any pretext there was yet another independent jurisdiction with which the inquisition occasionally came into collision in spain the military orders formed so important a body that among the state councils there was one of orders which had exclusive jurisdiction over their members it will be recalled that one of ferdinand's most efficient measures to ensure the peace of the kingdom was to obtain the perpetual administration of those of santiago calatrava and alcantara while the queen assumed that of montesa yet he was not disposed to favor their claims of exemption in temporal matters from the jurisdiction of the inquisition a letter of september fifteen 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 to the tribunal of jaen says that certain confiscations involve property held by knights of the three orders who may claim exemption and refuse to plead before the judge of confiscations if so they are not to be listened to and if necessary are to be prosecuted with the full rigor of the law in civil and criminal matters the members of the orders asserted exemption from the jurisdiction of the inquisition leading to disputes more or less acrimonious in sixteen o nine at cordova don diego de argote a knight of santiago with leveled pistol prevented the arrest of one of his servants by officials of the tribunal a competencia resulted which when carried up to philip the third was decided by him in favor of the council of orders to this the suprema replied in a consulta foretelling the entire destruction of the inquisition in case the decision was allowed to stand and so worked on philip that he reversed his decree and allowed the suprema to prosecute the culprit the complication caused by these class privileges is illustrated in the case alluded to above occurring in sixteen forty eight at cuenca of munoz de castilblanque for the murder of the priest jacinto he was a knight of calatrava which led to an additional competencia when the junta could not agree and the king had to decide in their contests with the orders the tribunals were apt to exhibit the same unscrupulous spirit as in those with other contestants in majorca dr ramon sureda canon chancellor and judge of competencias was likewise conservator of the military orders in sixteen fifty seven he complained that in conflicts of jurisdiction the inquisitor would not form competencias with him in order that the papers might take the regular course of transmission for settlement by the suprema and council of orders the king and queen therefore as administrators of the orders instructed him in such case to send to the inquisitor three successive messages and report them and their replies to the council if in spite of this the tribunal continued to prosecute the case he was to proceed against the inquisitor and the viceroy was to render him all proper support the inquisitor ingeniously evaded this in the case of gaspar puigdorfilio a knight of santiago in sixteen sixty one by refusing to receive any messages saying that he received them only from the viceroy sureda's report of this was left unnoticed and the inquisitor adopted the same device in sixteen sixty two in the case of francisco de vale a knight of montesa 
prosecuted for wounding a familiar who had drawn a sword upon him. He refused to receive messages and proceeded to sequestrate various property, including his crops and cattle. To save them from destruction, the viceroy interposed and the Council of Orders appealed to the Queen, as administrator of the order, to take some action that should enable such questions to be settled peaceably, but apparently without result. As though the exempted classes were not numerous and troublesome enough, there was a project in 1574 of adding another which, if carried into effect, would have altered the destiny of Spain by subjecting it eventually to the Inquisition and reducing the nominal monarch to the position of a roi feignon under a mayor of the palace. It is a most impressive illustration of the spirit of the age that such a project should have been formulated, that it received enthusiastic support, and that a sovereign so jealous of his prerogative as Philip II should have even allowed it to be debated, much less have let it assume a menacing shape and have given it serious consideration. A military order was to be established under the name of Santa Maria de la Espada Blanca, with a white sword as a symbol, like the red sword of Santiago. At its head was to be the Inquisitor General, to whom all members were to swear allegiance, and whose orders in peace and war all were to obey. To him, likewise, they were to assign their property, receiving back at his hands what was necessary for their support, and after death their widows were to be pensioned by him. They were to be exempt from all jurisdiction save his, which was to be delegated to priors appointed in all the provinces. The ostensible object was the defense of the faith and of Spain, for which they were at any time liable to be called to the field or to serve in garrison under the orders of the inquisitor-general. Thus the inquisition was to be furnished with an organized force sworn to blind obedience and released from all other obligations. The only requisite for membership was limpieza, or purity of blood, free from all taint of Judaic or Moorish contamination, or descent from those who had been sentenced for heresy. At this period, limpieza was becoming a popular mania. The cost of proving it through four generations was considerable, and there was strong temptation in the promise that the expenses of all applicants would be defrayed from the common fund. The project may seem to us too wild to merit a thought, but it responded so perfectly to the temper of the time that it was enthusiastically adopted by the provinces of Castile, Leon, Biscay, Navarre, Aragon, Valencia, Catalonia, Asturias, and Galicia. Procurators from these provinces submitted it to Philip for his approval, and were supported by representatives of forty-eight noble houses and of the archiepiscopal sees of Toledo, Santiago, Seville, Saragossa, Valencia, Tarragona, and Granada. It was debated earnestly and at much length, but the argument of Pedro Vinegas de Cordova decided its fate. He pointed out the troubles which were already arising on the subject of limpieza, causing jealousies, hatreds, and contentions, to be increased enormously if the population was thus to be divided into two classes. Also the fact that the royal courts would have left to their jurisdiction only the new Christians, while the old Christians would have their special judges, and, if the comparatively few existing familiars caused such all-pervading troubles, what the effect would be of increasing without limit the number of the exempt. 
on the one hand the ambitious and able men among the new christians being thus cast out would foment disaffection and disturbance on the other if the old military orders had been a source of danger to the monarchy what would be the effect of creating a new one united and vastly more numerous and subject as vassals to an inquisitor-general whose power was already so great and who would control the property and have jurisdiction over all members while in case of rebellion the frontiers and strongholds would be in his hands this reasoning was unanswerable philip ordered all papers connected with the project to be surrendered he imposed perpetual silence on its advocates and wrote to the ecclesiastical and secular bodies to abandon it for justice and protection would never be lacking we shall probably do no injustice to the inquisition in attributing to the prophets accruing from the exercise of its temporal jurisdiction the ruthless vigour with which the tribunals sought to vindicate and extend it the remarks of the visitor cervantes with regard to barcelona in fifteen sixty one indicate how lucrative it could be made and how welcome was the addition of fees and fines to the somewhat meagre salaries of the officials this explains the reckless violence which became habitual in the conduct of quarrels because this not only was an assurance to the parties concerned as to the vigour with which they were defended but it also served to discourage the secular authorities from resisting encroachments it also explains the multiplication of then salaried officials such as familiars commissioners and their notaries assessors deputies etc which no laws or concordias or regulations could restrain for each one was a possible source of profit to the tribunal and a probable cause of disturbance in his vicinage through the comfortable assurance of immunity from the law the natural result of this was that unprofitable business was neglected for profitable and the suppression of heresy was postponed to the trial of civil and criminal cases which yielded fees we have seen how cervantes reported that in barcelona this seemed to be the real duty of the tribunal and that there was nothing else to be attended to his animadversions produced no amendment and in fifteen sixty seven de soto salazar repeated the complaint this continued unchecked the project of reform presented to the suprema in sixteen twenty three expresses the wish that other tribunals would follow the example of saragossa where one of the inquisitors was delegated every four months to conduct this business so that prisoners on trial for heresy could have their cases dispatched and not be kept languishing interminably in prison which as we shall see was one of the sorest abuses inflicted on them this pious wish was fruitless and the records of the inquisition for the following century show how large a portion of its activity was devoted to these cases and to the competencias incessantly springing from them one feature which aggravated the oppression in these matters especially in civil suits was not only the favoritism which inevitably inclined the tribunal to the side of its own people but the fact that the inquisitors were usually strangers unfamiliar with the local laws and customs peculiar to each province which they presumed to interpret and enforce this justified the frequent demands that inquisitors should be natives demands which received no attention for the appointing power thought only of their qualifications as judges of the faith 
while to the mass of the population their duties in this respect were of small account in comparison with their activity in their temporal jurisdiction another well-grounded source of complaint was that the inquisitorial habits of secrecy could not be wholly overcome the parties and their counsel were not allowed to be present as in the royal courts witnesses were examined by the inquisitor on lists of interrogatories furnished to him and there was no cross-examination written arguments were presented to him which he handed to the other side for reply and the procedure in both civil and criminal cases was assimilated as nearly as might be to the secret trials for heresy which was the inquisitorial ideal of the dispensation of justice the cases were decided by the inquisitors in session together on a majority vote in the sixteenth century there was no appeal to the suprema even when the vote was not unanimous but in sixteen forty five a writer assumes that either side could appeal we have seen how tenaciously the kingdoms of aragon struggled against the evils of the system castile felt them equally but it had not the same institutions and could only remonstrate the cortes of madrid in sixteen o seven sixteen o eight represented that those of fifteen seventy nine and fifteen eighty six had petitioned for the reform of the abuses arising from the temporal jurisdiction of the inquisition to the great injury of the kingdom that philip the second had promised relief but had died without granting it and therefore the request was now repeated in view of the increasing evils especially was attention called to the cruelty of imprisoning ordinary offenders for the people could not distinguish and imagined all prisoners to be heretics thus entailing infamy upon them and disqualifying them for marriage wherefore it was asked that they be confined in the public jails philip the third promised to do what was proper and of course did nothing the cortes of sixteen eleven repeated the petition with similar lack of result the council of castile the highest tribunal in the land in a consulta of sixteen thirty one represented forcibly the existing evils especially the prodigal use of censures under which corredores and other magistrates lay under excommunication for months together while individuals were impoverished by the long delays in settling competencias it urged the remedy of permitting appeals to the council por via de fuerza in cases not of faith and this it repeated in sixteen thirty four sixteen sixty nine and sixteen eighty two more outspoken was a memorial presented in sixteen forty eight to philip by a member of the council on the abuses of the criminal jurisdiction those in civil cases being treated in a separate paper the writer alludes to having repeatedly made the same representations orally and in writing he dwells upon the interminable delays and other obstacles which impede justice and discourage sufferers from seeking it the resultant immunity creates audacious criminals the number of familiars and of soldiers who never serve in the field has increased so greatly that nothing is seen but crimes and the offenders are unpunished everywhere men of the most dissolute type and the largest fortunes seek appointment so as to enjoy immunity the royal revenues are defrauded and prohibited goods are imported while no corregidor or alcalde dares to curb them for they are at once excommunicated by the inquisitors even to casting interdicts over whole communities 
those who suffer remain without redress so that those who are able are led to take it into their own hands for they can get it nowhere else justice is trampled under foot there is no alguazil who dares to make an arrest or scrivener to draw up papers so many have been slain or wounded for so doing and the death of an alguazil is held at naught as though the officers of justice were common enemies if the king would re-establish the jurisdiction of the royal courts there would be an end to the excommunications with which the inquisitors defend their delinquents as though they were vessels of the temple the time of the councils and of the king would not be consumed by these perpetual competencias and the plagues would cease wherewith god afflicts these kingdoms for the injustice the violence and the dissolute life of the people these warnings and remonstrances fell on deaf ears the suprema was skilled to work upon the piety of the king and to promise him relief from perils if he would placate god by increasing the privileges of the inquisition the very existence of which depended upon its ability to protect its familiars from the law and from the universal hatred in which they were held End of book two chapter four part nine Recording by Shena Sayre, Fresno, California.